once you start getting some writing under your belt, once you start getting bylines, get yourself a portfolio. Make sure you have it somewhere that's easily displayed and put it out there and start raising your rates. Don't take no for an answer. If someone says we can only pay this, move on. Also, if you have any skills in SEO, put that on there too. Make sure that you're not just a content writer. Make sure people know, oh, you also know SEO. Because there are some people who will get confused and call you an SEO content writer. Let me tell you, that title is bullshit. There's no such thing. There's just content. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dreading Sundays. I'm your host, Daniel K. Chung, and today I have the co-founder of Crunchylinks, Jamar Ramos. I've had him on a different podcast another time, and it's great to reconnect. Jamar, why don't you say hi and introduce us and let us know where you are and what you do. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are. As uh, Daniel said, I am Jamar Ramos, co-founder and chief marketing officer of Crunchylinks. I'm located in the San Francisco Bay Area, really in uh, San Mateo, California. Been doing digital marketing for about 10 years now. Been in the agency life. We celebrated our third year anniversary on July 1st of this year. So not fresh in digital marketing, but fresh-ish as a agency startup founder. Congratulations on surviving three years. There was plenty of times, especially right after COVID hit, that I didn't think that we would make it. But as long as you're willing to roll with the punches and as long as you're willing to wake up in the morning on a Monday and realize I've been doing this all wrong and tear up the playbook that got you to the playoffs and devise something new, you, you could survive a little bit longer than you thought. Yeah, so three years, that means you would have launched 2019, so just 2019. before the pandemic. Yep, okay. July 2019. So we had a couple of months and then the pandemic hit and we lost 70% of our revenue. And I developed a bit of a drinking problem because you're like, oh, how do you deal with this? Oh, let's, you know, let's exhaust the pain away. Wow. So you've lost 70% of your revenue. What's next? We thought of a couple of different ways that we wanted to try and figure out how to build up more revenue. We at first tried to do some affiliate stuff that didn't take very well. We went out and got some leads from a lead company. Those leads turned out to be really crappy. Um, and we also lowered our prices so we could actually be a little bit more targeted for clients. It's like, okay, if they're worried about their marketing budgets, if we charge a little bit less, yes, we're not making as much as before, but maybe we find some partners who are like, okay, well, I'll work with them because it doesn't kill my budget. And doing all those things, the first two failing, this one, you know, working by cutting our prices, we were able to bring on some other clients and people that worked with us in the past who had really enjoyed us, but I cut their marketing budgets, came back to us because they enjoyed our work so much they had just had to pause. So, you know, it was about three, four months of fear. But after that, things started building back up. So right now, again, another economic downturn. We're worried a little bit, but because of that experience, instead of panicking, it's like, okay, this time it's a little bit different, but what lessons did we learn from that? So learning how to quickly pivot instead of, you know, developing a drinking problem. <laughs> Very good point. What was that conversation like when you 
I think there's three of you, right? Three co-founders? Yeah, there's three of us. There's three of you. you you've come together and go, well, what are we going to do? And the solution is let's cut prices. That, how, how did that conversation go? At the beginning, not very well because I am very the price is the price. Like I've, I went to school. I've got the experience. You're paying me for my learning, my education, and my abilities but also I've got rent to pay and bills to pay and no one really cares about, you know, my morals and me standing on my moral high ground. It's like, oh, well, I'm very proud of you for not lowering your prices and lowering yourself. So we'll knock off this month's rent. It's like, no, I don't care about that. Give me my rent. So you just have to be super honest with each other and put it all out there. Like, what are we willing to do? Where are we willing to go? Are we willing to because all three of us, when we founded this, we left hospitality industry to do this. And hospitality is really, really volatile. You never know what's going to happen from day to day. So we didn't want to work in that industry. We even talked about, do we start working with hotels and restaurants to bring in that extra clientele, even if we don't enjoy it, keeps the lights on for you know another couple of months. Luckily, we didn't have to do that. But being able to have those honest conversations really helps because... You strip away the ego. You strip away the, this is who I am now. It's like, okay, no, this is who we are. This is where the company is. So you do what's best for the company, not what's best for your ego, your morals, and what you stand on anymore. Right. So leading on from that, let's go back to the very beginning. Why does Crunchy Links exist? Crunchy Links exists because one of our co-founders and I, Jack, we've been friends for about as long as we've both been in digital marketing. And we had the same terrible experience with bosses, bosses who make promises and say that they'll help you and then never do that. And then when one thing goes wrong, you're always, you know, under that microscope, under that interrogation, like where people are like, what were you doing? When did you do it? Why did you do it? And it just got tiresome. And the last agency, all three of us worked there. And we all develop terrible mental health issues from being overworked. Half of our team was in India. So we're in the office from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Then we have to go back home, have a little bit of time to feed ourselves rest. And then we're on the phone again. Like I would be working except for maybe an hour where I was at the gym. I'd be working from 8 a.m. till about midnight, 1 a.m. the next day. And is that, at- is that normal? In agency um, life? It shouldn't be, but a lot of people think that it is because you're always hustling after that next dollar. And because this agency in particular, instead of thinking about the goals, it was about tasks. What tasks did we accomplish? So you're just trying to prove to the client, okay, we did X number of tasks for Y amount of money when that's not really how it should be. And so sometimes you're playing catch up and it just got exhausting. After my first four months there, I had this rash that I broke out into that was all over my chest, my back, down my arms, up my neck. And at one point I actually thought it was shingles. And I went to a doctor and the doctors even said, we have no idea what this is. And looking back on it, it was just stress reaction that working that much, being under that microscope, being that unhappy, just was killing my body. And that's how I was reacting to it. 
And it finally got to the point where Jack left a couple of days before my birthday. I went on my birthday vacation and my first full day on vacation, my boss called me about something at work. And after I hung up the phone, I was like, I have to leave. I can't keep doing this. Like, I can't even take a vacation. That's crazy. I hadn't taken a vacation. I had taken one day off, and that was to go to a funeral. So it's time to go. And we decided that if we're going to leave, we want to control our own fate. If we're going to do the work, we want to make the money. And that's how Crunchy Links was founded. Nice. Now, where was we won't name this dangerously, but where was it? Because, from my understanding, United States geographically huge, and there's probably discrepancies between state lines on pay and salary. But at the time that you were working here, what were you getting paid? If you don't mind sharing, I was getting paid when I started at the job eighty thousand a year, and before I left, I had gotten a raise to eighty two thousand four hundred a year. And does that compare? across the industry it was good but for my skills and what i was doing i was only brought in to be jack's seo assistant manager by the time i left i was helping to fully run the seo team i was helping to run the local seo team i was helping to run the social media marketing team and i was asked to ideate and build out an email marketing team and service so all of that should have been paid a little bit more than what I was paid. So while that had been the highest paid digital marketing job I had had till then, it still was underpaying me for my value, what I brought to the table and all the stuff that they put under my umbrella by the end of my tenure there. Wow. And if you were to put that into today's dollar value, what would be a fair compensation for that? I know there's a lot of missing context, Mm -hmm. could be in-house, could be agency, but given you're on the West Coast, USA, what would someone with those skill set and experience and responsibilities, what should they be aiming for in salary negotiation? Well, honestly, for that role, I would have put my title as VP of marketing at that point. I would have rolled content under myself because that was the last thing on that that wasn't under me besides PPC, but I don't want PPC. That job should have been paid anywhere from 140 to 150K starting with accelerators for hitting different goals, for hitting the right KPIs, for bringing on the right amount of clients for client retention. But again, that agency was particularly poorly run. And so there wasn't a whole lot of those guardrails up to make sure that the responsibilities were correctly compensated and the correct people were running those responsibilities. Yeah, that's... That's quite common <laughs> from what I've seen from the agency space. It's, because they, they, yeah, it's usually started it's, by it's someone who, who knows SEO and then yeah. they don't have a lot of managerial experience yep. and then they don't further that experience anymore. And so they're also going blind and they don't really want to bring in a CEO because they want to be boss. And so it's yeah. kind of, it's this circle joke of nothing goes anywhere. It goes back to our, our conversation of ego, like, managing people is you have to be egoless. You It's difficult. It's hard. Just because you know how to do SEO and you know digital marketing doesn't mean you know how to lead. I won't even say manage, lead people because it is leadership. Like 
if you're managing them, you're doing it wrong. You're supposed to be leading them and not leading them towards your particular goal, leading towards the goals that they want. If you see someone who's good in digital marketing, but their skills lie more in customer success, as a leader, you should say, okay, I see these skills. Would you like to develop those a little bit more? Would you like to move your responsibilities more in that way? So you keep a good employee, you keep them happy, and you show that you're actually listening to them, both with what they're saying verbally and with what they're just doing for you and your company. That's the best way to actually be a good manager, a good leader, rather than here's the work, do this work, hit these goals. Maybe I'll give you a raise, but I'm just going to dangle this carrot in front of you and keep you running for it. And then you'll leave me. Then I'll do it all over again. Yeah. Like I look back at my agency career and I think I was very fortunate. My boss was, gave me a lot of autonomy and I could do whatever I want. And for some reason, I decided leadership was for me. I, I enjoyed that, even though it was stressful. But, you know, I look back, that's how I was able to earn more by taking off that stress. But I know a lot of agencies, they don't give you this room to grow. You have to do X because that's your job title. And if you do more, good luck with that. As an agency co-founder, how have the three of you managed this? And I also don't like the word manage, but in terms of business, you have to manage your business. So how have you navigated individual contributors versus those who show leadership qualities? It's, It's difficult because you don't want to. There's... It's hard because people want to just say, okay, because you're developing more, you have to start managing people. That's the wrong mindset. Sometimes you're able to manage tasks. Sometimes you're able to manage people. Sometimes you're able to do both. We try and make people say, okay, you were so great. You hit all these goals. Here's a team. Well, why can't you run the team? You're fired. It's like, no, 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 no. You put them in a bad spot. So it's consistently asking people like we have every Thursday, we have what we call our leadership meeting. And so this is a chance for us to ask our employees, how are you feeling? Do you feel supported? What's going on? Not just let, we don't talk about client work. If you don't want to, let's talk about you. What's going on. How's like, my biggest question is always, how's your mental health? And I don't just mean like, don't tell me you're fine. Don't tell me you're okay. Like what's really going on. You don't have to give me any details, but are you okay? What can we do? Do you need a day off? You know, can you take some extra time? What work can we help you with that will get you to be able to take that time away? We also have mental health Fridays where we don't schedule any meetings. There's no client stuff. Unless our employees feel the need to work, we say just take the day. And also, we're really good about shifting people. Like I used to have people, you know, underneath me that I manage. But because my responsibility started moving more away from client day-to-day work, it was stupid for me to manage people who were doing everyday client work because I don't know what's going on with the clients. If I tell them this is what you're doing, it's from a place of ignorance and, again, ego. It's just because I feel like I should be able to tell them that. I feel like I'm smarter. No, those people are the smart ones because they're dealing with the clients. They should be telling me what they need from me, not me telling them what I need from them. So. Really, it boils down to listening, listening to each other, listening to your employees, listening to what's right, not what's needed right now 
are what your ego is telling you the employee should be doing for you. Well said. And I 100% agree, especially <laughs> about these one-on-ones where it's not about the client work. It's about connecting with that individual, especially if you're yeah. a team lead or director level or whatever the job titles are these days, SEO manager, whatever that means too. <laughs> if you do have someone that reports up to you, then you should you know, have either dailies or something at a cadence where you know how the project work's going. Mm-hmm. But on an individual level, that's what's missing a lot in the workforce. And that is, how is that human being coping with life? And the last three years have not been easy for a lot of people, no. unless you're in the 1%. But if you're in the 1%, <laughs> you're, not list- you're not listening to this, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Wait, hold on. No, I know that Bill Gates, I know that Steve Jobs, I know they're all listening. Elon, shout out, boy. I see you. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Dream big, dream big. Yeah. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. I've got delusions about my delusions, baby. <laughs> Delusionception. Oh, I know, just levels, levels of deception. <laughs> Speaking of deception, because you're an agency co-founder, what? L- let's flip the script a bit. Mm-hmm. This is more for, let's say a potential candidate or someone who's in the market to apply for a job at an agency, what are the usual red flags that they should look for? If anyone tells you that they're a family run, just run, just run. Like I, I want to treat my employees like family. I want to listen to them. I want to be kind, but in the end it is about doing the work They're in, in work, there's no such thing as unconditional love. You can be a bleephole to your family and they'll forgive you until the day you die. If you're a bleephole in work one too many times, you get put on a pip and then you're out. So if people say, oh, we're a family and da, 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 what that means is they want you to work early. They want you to work late. They want you to never take vacation and they want to never give you anything that truly compensates you for the work that they are doing. Mm-hmm. What about That's work hard, red play hard? See, that one can be a red flag, but it's also it also depends on who you're talking to. Like, I like the idea of work hard, play hard. I like the idea of, like I tell people, like, I take the work seriously. I don't take myself seriously. Like, I want to be able to have fun with what we're doing because I... While some people say, oh, you know, I'm really passionate about SEO or digital marketing. I'm not. I don't love this. I've never loved this. I'm in it for the money. I'm in it because it's a thing that I'm good at that pays me a lot. There's a basketball player in the States, uh, Andre Drummond. He's like seven feet tall and everything. People have lambasted him for years that, you know, he doesn't love the sport of basketball and everything. And he doesn't. But he's seven feet tall. He's good at basketball. And it pays multi-millions of dollars. Why are you mad at him for playing and making that money? Like, not everything has to be about passion. I'm a trained writer. I'm very passionate about writing. I cannot do it for money because when I tried, it took all of my passion out of writing. I don't want my passion to be my job. I didn't even know that about you. I did not know you were a trained writer. Here I am learning. 
<laughs> went to college to get a degree in creative writing because I wanted to be the next Black Shakespeare and ended up in digital marketing because, again, at this point, being a writer doesn't pay that well. Being a digital marketer is very lucrative. Yeah, I'm pretty much on the same page. I I can't say I love SEO. I definitely like taking care of my wife and my dog. That's my passion. SEO is just something that somehow I stumbled upon and very good at for some reason. And I can make a fuck ton of money and I love it because yeah, of that. Like, That's it. I'm passionate about helping clients. I like it when like a client comes to us, they have a goal, we hit it. And not only do we hit it, we hit it even more than they thought. I love it when clients, even when a client has to, you know, leave, they're like, you know what, we're not leaving because any of the work we're leaving for these reasons. And we have these people that we want to refer to you to, or we'll have some points of contact to go from one company to another, reach out and say, hey, I know you work with me over here. Would you be interested in working with me here? That's what I'm passionate about, making sure that what we're doing helps people. But the day-to-day, the optimizing, the looking at this, the staring at Google Analytics and all that, I can do it. I will do it. Why do I have to love that in order to do it well? I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to sit out here in these Twitter streets and lie about it. Here's a Twitter thread about why I love looking at content briefs. Like, no, no. Here's a Twitter thread about why I hate all of this. But it ends with, I make a lot of money. So, Yay. Nice. Now, because now I'm learned that you come from a writing background and some of the people listening, they may be in the content stream and for whatever reason, they seem to learn, earn a lot less than us. What advice do you have for them? Even though you've said, you know, when you write for money, it strips away the passion. But if that's your skill and that's the way, that's your tools to earn money, how can you as an agency co-founder, what pathways exist for them? in your opinion, anyway? Freelancing and freelance a lot. Like in the beginning, it's going to be terrible. I did a lot of freelance writing for digital market companies on the side, and the money's terrible in the beginning. But once you start getting some writing under your belt, once you start getting bylines, get yourself a portfolio. Make sure you have it somewhere that's easily displayed and put it out there and start raising your rates. Don't take no for an answer. If someone says we can only pay this, move on. Also, if you have any skills in SEO, put that on there too. Make sure that you're not just a content writer. Make sure people know, oh, you also know SEO. Because there are some people who will get confused and call you an SEO content writer. Let me tell you, that title is bullshit. There's no such thing. There's just content. There's just content. You can't SEO optimize something because that's redundant. It's already been optimized. You can't use the word twice. I know how words work. <laughs> that's like ATM machine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's yep. in everyone's lexicon now. It's become yep. the norm. <laughs> it's become the norm. But it's So, so SEO the- optimize content. Yeah. Yes. You heard it first. Yes. Yes. But <laughs> the more you can talk about digital marketing channels, other channels, the better you will be and the more leverage you'll be to say, okay, this is what I can do. And I can do all this extra research because pe- the, the bad thing about writing is people think it's easy. Non-writers will be the first to say, oh, well, I would have done it this way or you should have talked this way or, well, I don't like this, but you're not a writer. You've never written. 
So don't tell me how to do it. There's nothing worse to a writer than a blank page that we have to fill with our thoughts because that is hard. It is really, really hard. The blank page taunts you. That little cursor blinking is a taunting light of right, 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 right. And I want it to shut up. But the only way you can shut it up is by filling it with words. Spoken like a true writer. <laughs> and, <if> you, <laughs> and, and because, you know, writing for content or digital consumption these days, there's a lot of transferable skills and there's a whole bunch of buzzwords that you could put on your CV, your resume. You probably understand search intent, but it's not something you would naturally include in your resume. But mm -hmm. if you write content and it's progressed somewhere and people have read it, then you've probably nailed search intent. You've probably even done keyword research. These are all things that you should put in your resume so that you're not just a commodity. You're not just a, how much are they charged per words these days? 10 cents, a dollar, if you're lucky. Yeah. Also, being able to work with people that will share the analytics. What did this piece that I wrote do? So you can get that because unless you have those tangible numbers, all people are going to see that you wrote a piece of content. It's on the internet. Lots of people write pieces of content. Breitbart is still out here writing pieces of quote unquote content. There's a lot of these content factories out here putting up crap. What did what you do put up? If you can show, I wrote this piece of content that had these two goals. This is what they did to achieve those goals. You're starting to tell a story. And as a writer, that's all we're trying to do is tell stories. So if you can tell the story of what you did, that will go a long way towards putting you out there and saying, okay, not only is this person a writer, but they're successful because of the metrics. Nothing matters unless you can prove it with data. So another thing, content writers get good at looking at data. I know it's scary. I know words are our numbers, but numbers have to be our numbers too sometimes. And the more you can understand and boil it down to, I wrote a piece of content that was supposed to up conversions. It up conversions 20%. There's a story. Tell Love that it. story. That is gold. All right. I think we're on the home stretch because it's been long enough of us talking. <laughs> <laughs> but Elon but like, is out there. He's waiting with bated breath to hear what we got to say, Daniel. Come on, man. You're going to let Elon down? You're going to do that, man? That hurts. Yeah. That hurts. I yeah, thought man. you were who's, better, who's brother. Elon to me? <laughs> what else? <laughs> <laughs> What's he ever done for me? What? <laughs> I mean, just, you've just, got that Hyperloop that's coming, you know, in, in 3035, I heard. <laughs> 30, oh, sorry. I can't afford the cryogenics. <laughs> I won't be Futurama's, around. Futurama's just around, around the corner, man. Come on. Hey, as long as it's not like altered carbon and we go into sleeves and never die, like I, I think I'll actually look forward to dying eventually one day. <laughs> like, can you imagine living forever? No. No. no Even no, a computer no. needs to be restarted once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> facts all right so last question i reckon mm -hmm. and it goes back to let's let's pick someone who is a manager or going in towards the managing route for digital marketing or seo what have you really learned in the last three years or even the last 10 years or 13 years i believe 
that has helped you become who you are that will help them become a better leader slash manager? It's basically having facts. It's always having facts. Again, it's just what we said about the data, facts. If you want to lead people, you have to bring facts to them. You have to show them why they should trust you. It, it, again, we always get it flipped. We think employees need to show employers why employers should trust the employees. No, 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 no. We are blessed to have these people working with us, not for us, with us. Yes, they are quote unquote subordinates. Yes, they are quote unquote lower than us on the org chart. They are still working with us. So if they ask for help, if I don't have time, I need to bring facts about why I can't help. It can't just be no, because then what they see is I'm too good to help you or your work is beneath me now. It's I just had this situation where someone asked for some help, but I was doing something. So I said, hey, right now what I'm doing is going to bring in X amount of clients potentially, which is going to be Y amount of money for us. Can you help me figure out where I can prioritize your project in that so that I can help you, but still do this? Not saying, no, I can't help, but hey, if your project can't be fit into the sprint cycle I'm already in, we're going to have to figure out another way to get you help. Or again, same person came to me this week. Now I don't have as much on the plate. He needs a little bit of help. So I'm able to say, okay, I can prioritize this project this way and I can help you a whole lot more than I was able to last time. So again, because I'm able to bring facts to the table, I can show him, you can still trust me as a manager to come and ask for help and I will help you if and when I have that time. And if I don't have that time, I will tell you exactly what I'm doing why it's more of a priority than what you're asking me to do. But I will still say, hey, if you can show me why and how to fit this in, I can fit this in. So building that trust from the top down rather than from the bottom up. Bring facts to every conversation you have with your employees. Bring understanding, bring listening. And again, do not bring ego. It is always easy to bring that ego. It is always sitting on our shoulder ready to whisper in our ear, ready to feed us that poisoned honey that kills relationships, kills companies, kills trust. You have to learn to ignore it. And when I say you, I'm mostly talking to myself, but there's other people out there who might you know, be ego monsters like me. You have to kill it. There's a great line from a great band that I love, Tool. Always goes in my mind, crucify the ego before it's far too late. I always have to think of that line because there's always an opportunity for the ego to knock me and keep me from doing the right thing. Come down off that pedestal, kill your ego, and you'll all of a sudden understand exactly what you need to do. Sometimes it's not going to benefit you as a manager. Sometimes it's going to be sacrifices made, but that's why we're in these seats is to make those sacrifices, is to make sure our employees feel that they have the capacity to do their best work, that they are fully supported, that you understand what they're going through. Because if there's no understanding, that employee is gone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was, that was amazing. That, 
You didn't even have to rehearse that. That was, that was, you should, you know, everyone should rewind like 45 seconds or actually a minute and a half and re-listen to that because that was, that was deep. And That's three and, years and, of pain, baby. That's three years <laughs> exactly. of pain and heartache and learning some hard lessons and failing and failing and failing. But like your favorite baseball player, if you succeed three times out of 10, you're a Hall of Famer. And that's how I like to think about it. Again, data, baby, data. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and insights, Jamar. It's been, it's been an absolute pleasure again and honor. Thank you. Thank you for doing the hard work of this podcast. Like everyone wants a podcast. Everyone wants their voice out there. What you're doing for people is more important. This is allowing different voices, different understandings, different careers, different paths to have an opportunity to talk about where they came from, where they are, and where they want to go. And the fact that you're giving them a platform to do that, I wish more people would look at their podcast and understand that's in the power. There's thousands of other SEO podcasts that are going to talk about algorithm updates and everything. What can you do to update the community? What can you do to update the ability for new diverse voices to get out there and be heard? Because you never know where the next brilliant idea is coming from. And you never know when the question you ask is going to bring out that brilliant idea. Ask the questions, get the brilliant ideas, rinse and repeat. That's that's the trailer for season two right there. Mm, love <laughs> I it. Appreciate it. I th- thank thank you. Like of course, I just brother. look back and think what what resource would I have wanted to come across when I was at the beginning of my journey, and like you, yeah, where I am today is is a series of mistakes and experiences and experimentations. Uh, and if I can help someone else who maybe looks like me or relates to me in some way or to their guests, then that's that's a job done. I've left my mark. I might not have children. But that's my legacy. (laughs) Yeah, I was talking to someone about it. Like legacy is more than just the children you produce. It's the stuff you put out there. Even if if people don't remember my name, there's going to be people who, jokingly or not, there's going to be people who listen to this. Maybe people who read something else you or I have written, something else you or I have done. And even if it's a thousand words, if they pick a single sentence out and it helps them, that's my legacy. I don't care about my name. I don't care about living on in perpetuity. I care about the ideas, the things that we share, impacting someone and helping them grow. I'm on the same page. So on that note, I guess it's time to call it. <laughs> Thank you right. so much for being on the show. And for those of you who have stuck to the very end, we're hitting 35 minutes now. Thank you too. And if this is your first time, please stick around. I have a whole bunch of other episodes before this and coming up where you can listen to stories similar and very different to Jamar, maybe ones that you can resonate with and ones that you can hopefully draw some learnings from. But until then, thanks for tuning in to Dreading Sundays and I will catch you in the next episode. Goodbye, Elon.